And uh, take your Bibles and open up to 2 Timothy. Well, I want to jump into God's Word, and uh, I want to um, maybe um, ask you a question. I wonder how many of you uh, watch the show or have seen the show Mythbusters. Mythbusters, yeah, some of you are big fans. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, this show, by the way, is dedicated to using science to test the validity of rumors, myths, movie scenes, adages, internet videos, and news stories. Thank you, Wikipedia. This is the purpose of the show. Now, I want you to know something. This show, Mythbusters, deals with a wide array of possible myths or rumors with the goal of breaking them down to find out, are they really true? Is this really true? And what's interesting to me is that this show initially premiered on the Discovery Channel in 2003, and um, they're renewing it for another season. It's been going on. In 2017, the show is still in existence, which is, in one sense, shocking, um, because I think it tells us a couple of things. One, there's a lot of lies out there that people apparently are believing. If the show can go on for almost 15 years, breaking down all these falsehoods, then I think it tells us that at least a lot of people are buying into things that simply aren't true. There's a need to address the myths. There's a need to get people back to what is really true. I think that the, the truth remains in the Christian life as well. When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to Christian living, Christian discipleship, there are myths that many of us believe to be true but are really false. And we need to look at these myths and we need to get real about them. We need to address them. We need to break them down. And that's what I want to do uh, through God's word this morning. I want to address three myths of the Christian life. So if you have your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, our ushers are, are going to give you one. They'd love to give you one. Just put your hand up in the air and we'll make sure a Bible gets its way across to you. As we continue to work through 2 Timothy, we find ourselves... In chapter three, we're nearing the end of the book here. And in verse 10, Paul writes to Timothy, remember, he's trying to encourage Timothy to finish strong. And he knows that if he believes certain things that are untrue, it's not gonna be possible. And so he always wants to reinforce the reality of what is true. And so he looks at Timothy in verse 10 and he says this, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life my faith, my patience, my love and steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." Again, this is Paul looking at Timothy, and remember, this is flowing right out of a section where Paul has to address false teachers and the pervasiveness of false teachers and the persecution that is coming because of false teachers, and he looks and he says, look, these guys want to present themselves as being true, of speaking the truth, of, of really presenting what is right, but I want to tell you, Timothy, they're liars, they're false, they're teaching error, and in contrast to that, Timothy, you need to be reminded that you are the one who has the truth. You're the one who speaks for me. And so as we look at this, I, I wanna just categorize this at myths that sometimes we are inclined to believe, and if we do believe them, they will prevent us from finishing strong. They'll prevent us from really uh, running towards the line at full speed ahead with all of the energy that we can muster. The first myth is this, myth number one, I have to hide who I really am. 
In the Christian life, we often believe this to be true, and we may not say it outrightly, but we live like this. I have to hide who I really am. I can't let people see who I really am. I can't let people get too close to my life. But instead, the scriptures teach, particularly by way of Paul's example to Timothy, that in fact, the very call of making disciples is to open yourself up to others. It is to let people in for them to see who you are. Again, notice verse 10 11. You, however, he says, have followed. Now, again, this stands in contrast to the phony lives. Remember, just this is so important, the context. The phony lives and ministries presented by the false teachers. They're a bunch of fakes and frauds hiding who and what they really are because they know that if the truth gets out about who they are, why they're really doing what they're doing, how they're really living behind closed doors, then their message will be utterly discredited. Paul draws attention to his own personal, listen, authenticity before Timothy. That's what you need to see here. Maybe apart from Jesus Christ, when it comes to getting a powerful picture of what it means to disciple others, I don't know that any other person other than Jesus rivals Paul. We have such an amazing glimpse into how he, he discipled people, how he lived his life, how he opened himself up to others. And I love that he looks at Timothy. Remember, he had poured himself into Timothy, and now he comes back to Timothy in his time of need, when Timothy is incredibly stressed out and fearing maybe for his own safety, looking at the, the persecution that's coming against him. And Timothy, he, Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, just remember what you saw in me. You, however, know, he says, This, by the way, this term that Paul uses suggests deep intimacy and familiarity. You know, the deepest levels of discipleship require the deepest levels of intimacy in relationship. Literally, this word can also be translated as to follow alongside. As you, however, know. In other words, you have followed alongside. You have accompanied me with the purpose, listen, of of inspecting and observing and learning. Timothy, you've seen me live my life, not perfectly, Timothy, I'm not perfect, but you've seen me live my life faithfully before God. You've seen the flaws, but you've also seen a lot of what God has done in me, how God has changed me and transformed me, and that is a powerful thing that a young disciple needs to see, and oftentimes that we need to be reminded of in the midst of hardship. You've watched me live my life, Timothy, with character and integrity, with honesty and transparency. You've followed alongside me. Our lives, listen, exhibit the reality of our inner character. How we live, the decisions we make, the circumstances we face, how we do all this, all these reveal the convictions that we hold and the priorities that we maintain. And so Paul looks at Timothy and he lays out now nine qualities that Timothy had witnessed or observed that he wants to bring back to his memory, things that are essential for Timothy to be reminded of as he faces the circumstances he's in. The first thing he says, you however, he says, have followed my teaching. And this quite simply, we've looked at this before, this is the sound doctrine, the healthy doctrine, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ Timothy, you've sat underneath me dozens of times if I proclaim the truth. You've heard me expound upon the scriptures. You've heard me un- unpack the Old Testament and you've heard me prophesy the words of God that are now recorded for us here in the New Testament. 
Timothy, you know that I'm a man who's under the authority of Scripture. There's a reason that he lists this first, by the way. The teaching is everything. It lays the foundation for how Paul lived the rest of his life under the authority of Scriptures. It's a picture, by the way, as well, of of what Paul would have exemplified for Timothy as a minister of the gospel. I mean, just imagine what Timothy would have seen. He would have seen Paul, who was meticulously careful when handling the word of God. What a powerful example. He wasn't trivial with it. He saw him meticulously study. He saw him meticulously persevere with commitment to preparation. He saw him practice and proclaim these truths. And that's why the second piece that he mentions is this. Timothy, you've also followed my conduct. You see, right conduct flows out of right doctrine. It naturally comes after teaching. And Timothy had access, by the way, to the most mundane and intimate aspects of Paul's daily affairs. And Timothy had observed a life that was governed by the scriptures. I mean, Paul was probably always looking at his life and reflecting on, and what I, is what I'm about to do or say, or how I'm about to behave, the decision I'm about to make, does it line up with God's word? Would this bring the most honor and glory to God? Would this be the most loving thing to do to my neighbor? What does God have to say about this particular issue? His conduct was dictated by the truth of scripture. This is so essential in discipleship. And then he says to him, you've seen and followed my aim in life. In other words, my purpose. You've watched me live my life with purpose. How many people can we look at today who are meandering about in their life, even in the church of Jesus Christ, without any sense of purpose or direction? And and Paul says, Timothy, look, you know I didn't live by accident. You know I didn't live just flippantly in any regard. I was so focused on the purpose that God had given me. My purpose was to be set apart. It was to be living a life for the glory of God. It is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to make disciples of all nations. That was his purpose in life. Timothy, then he says, you've also followed my faith. His faith had been clearly demonstrated both in a passive form in the sense that his faith in terms of trusting God in all circumstances. I mean, just imagine what Timothy had seen Paul go through and how strong of a faith he witnessed in Paul. Paul was always trusting the Lord in all things and at all times, but also in the active sense, he witnessed Paul's faithfulness. He watched Paul live faithfully in the midst of hardship. He watched Paul persevere in faith. And then you'll notice he says, and you followed my patience. Patience is such a a mark of maturity, isn't it? Immaturity is often marked by impatience a wanting things here and now, an impulsiveness, but he saw in Paul exemplified this great patience, patience with people, patience when he was wronged, patience when he was maligned. He was so eminently patient. And out of that, he demonstrated a love. Did you notice that there? A love for others, a love for God, Paul modeled a steadfastness, an endurance that is so necessary for Timothy to take note of right now as he is maybe thinking about throwing the towel in even on Christian ministry. 
And then he tacks on two additional qualities that Timothy witnessed in verse 11. Notice what he says, my persecutions and sufferings. Now I want you to see too just how personal Paul is making this. You notice the word my in front of every single one of those. It is emphasizing this personal relationship. And then he looks at him and he says, now you witnessed also my persecutions and my sufferings. Timothy, I know you're suffering right now. I know you're being persecuted. I know you feel ganged up upon. But remember, you saw me in my persecutions and my sufferings. And then he gets very specific with him that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Just read read Acts 13 and 14, and you will see on Paul's first missionary journey how much he endured for the sake of the gospel moving forward. I mean, it was in those two chapters, in these places, that Paul was stoned and left for dead And it's likely that Timothy had actually, as a young man, had actually witnessed some of these events. And so here Paul, he calls him to look at his life and say, look, I I have not hidden my life from you. I have been open and transparent with you about everything. There's nothing hidden. There's a great principle that we can glean from this. And listen, we are a church that is all about making disciples. It's in our mission statement, it's our objective, it's our goal, and again, it's not being done perfectly in every regard, but it is our single-minded pursuit. We wanna make disciples for the glory of God. Here's a principle, it's gonna be up on the screen. The disciple of Jesus Christ is not primarily the product of a classroom, but of life invested and shared through personal relationship. When you think of discipleship, What is it that comes to your mind? Do you think of simply learning a set of facts, a lot of content or information being downloaded in a classroom setting? I mean, certainly that can be part of a discipleship process, but don't miss that one of the greatest aspects of discipleship is a life invested and shared through personal relationship. There's no substitute for this. It's a transference of life through contemplative observation and study of another individual. I was reminded of this, uh, Sarah and I, we just came back from a, a little vacation. We drove uh, to Austin, Texas, and we stopped in Nashville to visit some friends on the way back. And, and we were reminded, we have some friends there in Nashville who put us up for a couple days, and they just, they, they just blessed us so much. But these are friends that go way back in our lives to the time when we were in seminary. And, um, and, and this gentleman was an elder of the church that we were a part of. They're quite a bit older than us. Uh, and um, their kids are, are around our age. And I'll never forget, in a time where I was getting kind of a download of information in many regards that was much needed and, and still much valued and appreciated, one of the most impactful things in my personal life was when another individual came alongside and basically, without saying it directly, invited me to observe their life in a very personal and intimate way. And this couple took us into their home. When we got there, they embraced us. They had us over constantly for meals. I mean, they fed us and we were poor, so it was much better than craft dinner. It was so sweet. They loved on us, they cared for us, they showed us what it meant to be hospitable, they showed us what it meant to take care of others in the body of Christ who needed it. And, and I love it, before we left seminary, the last month, they knew we were heading back uh, to go plant a church and so they, they wanted to care for us. So they said, you know what, save your last month's rent and why don't you come and live with us for the last month that you're here? 
And so we, we stayed with this couple for an entire month, and I'll tell you, I learned more about the Christian life in that one month than I think I did in all of my seminary put together. The clinic they put on, on how to love us, but how to love each other, and how to care for people, it was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing to observe and experience. You know, there is something so appealing about those who are genuinely transparent, isn't there? And there's something so off-putting about those who refuse to be transparent, who protect themselves to their own fault and their own hurt and to the hurt of other people. One of the greatest myths in Christian living and in discipleship is that we must present ourselves as perfect if we're going to have influence in somebody else's life. Or to put it another way, we really believe that if we're going to have influence in people's lives, if we're gonna make disciples effectively, I need to hide who I really am. But the greatest way to influence is not to hide who you really are, but to invite people in with openness and honesty, with transparency. I mean, this is a principle that we try to practice in all aspects of the life of our church. We, we believe so strongly in this principle of transparency. We fight for this, and this is a hard thing to do, isn't it? We're so fearful of others finding out who we are, what we struggle with, or you know, our past. And I wanna encourage you, if you wanna make disciples effectively, Paul was reminding Timothy, hey, you need to look at my life, I cared for you, I opened myself up, and in a sense, you need to remember that, you need that, you need people in your life, listen, who you can go to, and you can observe, and study, and you can learn from by their example. So let me ask you this question, who are you studying right now? Who are you studying? Who are you observing very intentionally so that you can learn and glean some things that are gonna make you look more like Jesus? The second question is this, who's studying you? Now I think oftentimes the reason we don't wanna be open and honest and transparent with others is because we're actually not living a life that is in any way pleasing to the Lord. And if that's true, then we need to be open and honest with somebody so we can get help and deal with the things that are preventing us from having influence in people's lives. But we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we worthy of being studied? Does our life look so closely to the life of Jesus Christ that people can look and, and say, hey, hey, that aspect of your life, man, I want to be that. I wanna, I wanna learn hospitality like that. I wanna learn generosity like that. I wanna learn how to love my spouse like that. I wanna learn how to, how to disciple my kids like that. I wanna encourage you, you need to be studying somebody's life and you should seek to find those who would want to study your life. This is what discipleship looks like and this myth needs to be broken wide open. I have to hide who I really am is not a biblical trait or virtue. Paul demonstrated that in his relationship with Timothy, and what an encouragement it was to Timothy to see someone who modeled how to live this life faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully. Second myth, myth number two, I can follow Jesus without problems. I can follow Jesus without problems. Now this is a myth that I think is prevalent on so many fronts in the Christian life. I think this is a myth that is propagated in our evangelism. You know, oftentimes we wanna evangelize people and, in, and the way we try and bring them into that relationship, that faith with Jesus Christ, is we, we tell them things like this. Hey, just come to Jesus and your life is gonna be so much better. Everything's gonna be better, just trust me. 
That's a garbage statement, okay? It's a garbage statement. In fact, if you wanna be faithful to the Bible, you have to say a whole lot of other things that might actually scare people away from Jesus Christ. Like, this is hard. Jesus compared the Christian life to crucifixion, okay? Like, it's a big deal. You gotta pick up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus said. You gotta count the costs. And here, he gives this general axiom that again, this is a reality for all those who wanna follow Jesus faithfully. Listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I've said this before, but you don't find that verse, you know, we love to put verses on things, you don't find that cross-stitched on a pillow in your living room. It really goes against the grain of what we want, right? Like, we look for our own happiness, we look for our comfort, and listen, by the way, some of those things aren't bad or wrong, but we just need to understand that when we come to Jesus Christ, and if we are faithfully following him, it doesn't always mean that life is gonna be a bed of roses. In fact, what we learn is sometimes you gotta walk through a little bit of manure to get to the roses. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. Listen, Timothy is in a hard place. Life is hard. He is being persecuted. And all he's trying, can you just imagine, Timothy? All I'm trying to do is follow you faithfully, God. I'm just trying to serve your church. Why am I being relentlessly attacked? Why am I being torn down? Why, Why am I being thrown on the ground over and over again? Now, listen, I think here's the other reality. See, this isn't just prevalent, this kind of myth in our evangelism. I think we subtly live like this oftentimes. We live like this, here's how you know. When you're going through a trial, are you angry with God? When you suffer in this life, are you inclined, your first reaction, to think, what have I done wrong to deserve this? You see what that is? That's a very subtle, legalistic way of of saying, God, if I simply follow you, everything should be fine. But if things aren't going the way I think they should, then something's wrong. I must have done something wrong, or you must have done something wrong. So Paul gives him this general axiom, and he wants to remind Timothy that persecution in the Christian life, listen, should not be the exception. It is to be, in one sense, the norm. And Paul says, look, what I went through, Timothy, what you witnessed in me, in my sufferings and my persecution, it really, it serves as a living illustration for what you can expect if you are willing to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. I mean, just listen to these words again. And indeed, all whose desire is to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, as Christians, there is, by the way, a very, very easy way to avoid suffering persecutions. There's a, there's a really simple way. You're like, I don't want persecution to suffer. Great, here it is, just don't faithfully follow Jesus. It's simple, really. Don't wanna be like Jesus, don't care about uh, living like Jesus, don't care about following Jesus, just live the way you wanna live, like the world, and, and you won't endure suffering or persecution. The only problem is, is you can't faithfully, you can't do that and call yourself a faithful follower of Christ. In fact, arguably, if that's the pattern of your life, you can't do that and call yourself a follower of Christ. So, here he is, he gives this qualification. If it's your desire, if it's your resolve, if it is the the overwhelming purpose of your life, 
the longing of your heart, if, if you are determined to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now listen, that, that statement there just strikes hard, right at my own heart, doesn't it? Just right at yours? Is that your overwhelming purpose? Is that what you desperately want in this life, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I mean, I look at my life, and I can honestly tell you, oftentimes, yes! And then sadly, sometimes, no. And it is a constant fight, and, and there's constant tension in my heart. Right? This battle over my desires of what I really want to live for. And here, we are reminded, listen, that the supreme and reigning and ruling desire of every follower of Jesus Christ should be to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. To say in this life, listen, not my will be done, but yours. Not my desires, God, but yours. Not my fleshly passions, but the Spirit's control. He says that all those who wanna live like this, you can just, you can note this, okay? Just mark this down, you will be persecuted. There is an abiding antagonism of the world to godliness. This is the reality of the world we live in. Godliness, wherever godliness exists, the world clashes with it. They bump into each other repeatedly, nonstop. Now, I want to qualify this. The persecution of the godly by the world may vary in degree and take different forms in different countries and in different ages, but the basic hostility of the world to the godly remains unchanged. So we can say, well, I'm not being, I've had people say this to me genuinely saying, look, Ian, I'm not being persecuted right now. Am I really faithfully following Jesus? And some of the people who have said this to me, I know they're faithfully following Jesus. They're so concerned that to be following Jesus, they look at their life like, I'm not, I'm not being beaten up for my faith. I haven't been stoned for my faith. Nobody's threatened my life. Listen, let, let me ask you this. Has anybody ever had to walk away from a conversation with you because of the things you're saying about Jesus? Has anybody ever had to tell you, I don't wanna hear a single word you're saying about this Jesus guy? Have you had family members turn their back on you because you became a follower of Christ? Have you lost a job or an opportunity at work because of your commitment to Jesus Christ? I mean, I can go on and on. Have you lost friends and, not, and been excluded from different peer groups because of your commitment to follow Jesus Christ? I, I think if you faithfully follow Jesus Christ in our culture, every one of us should be able to say, yes, that's happened to me before. Yes, that's happened to me before. Yes, that's happened to me before. There is a basic hostility of the world to the godly, and that will remain unchanged, listen, until Jesus returns. So why is this true? Why is this the reality? Well, first, the servant is not greater than his master. Okay, they, they persecuted Jesus, they're gonna persecute you too. They hated him, they're gonna hate you too. I mean, they made this very clear to his own disciples. So the, the closer you walk, in union, that's, that's the thing you have to see in this passage, in Christ Jesus, that the more fellowship and union and unity you have, and that, that relationship is flourishing, the more that is happening, the more you will be persecuted. You have, here's why this is a reality, you have drawn a line in the sand when you follow Jesus Christ, and you've taken up arms to fight in the most vicious battle the world has ever seen. The Christian life is an unceasing struggle against principalities 
and powers and the rulers of dark, the darkness of this world. Peter, Peter refers to Christians with this term, we are aliens. I don't know what you think of when you think of aliens, but I think of somebody who doesn't belong, somebody is strange. You see, that's the way we look to the world around us. We look like we don't belong. We look strange. We do things they don't do, like get together on a Sunday morning and sing songs together. That's weird if you're not a Christian. That is weird. We're so different. Our motives, our standards, our precepts, our priorities, our goals, our way of life are as different from the world as light is from darkness. That's why we're called to be light in the darkness. And so two questions. Two questions for you and me this morning. The first one is this. Do I think I can follow Jesus without problems? Do I think that I can faithfully follow Jesus without any problems? Listen, listen, this will be on the screen too. The more you look like Jesus, the more unlike the world you will look. The more you look like Jesus, the more unlike the world you will look. But the more you look like Jesus, listen, the more your heart will expand for the world around you and want them to come to know Jesus. Listen, which puts you in a precarious position. Not only do you look different from them, but you're willing to go out and lovingly confront them and call them to repentance and the truth of the gospel to offer them the hope of salvation. And that instantly puts you at odds with the vast majority of the world who wants simply to be left alone and believe that they can get their way to God their own way. Like Jesus, this will invite persecution and pain of all kinds. Difficulty and distress belongs to everyone who commits themselves to loyal obedience and growth in godliness. So just, just know that if you want to grow in godliness, you just have to understand there will be pain involved. There will be problems involved. But listen, to run from those will be to run from one of God's greatest means of sanctifying you. It is the very problems that following Jesus faithfully brings that God will use to make you more like Jesus. Second question, do I truly desire to follow Jesus? That really is the question underneath the question. Do I really desire to follow Jesus? Is, is it my overwhelming desire to follow Jesus? I mean, do I, I wanna follow Jesus so badly that I simply don't care what happens to me, I don't care what kind of problems it brings, I don't care what kind of pain I'll have to endure, I just wanna follow Jesus with all of my heart, I wanna lay my life down as a living sacrifice in full and total surrender to him every single day of my life. And again, if we're honest, every one of us says yes, and then at times every one of us lives like we're saying no. But it's an important question for us to be contemplating this morning. You see, it remains in the hands of each believer whether he or she will choose the life of godly obedience or shy away into the shadows of compromise. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, this is simply par for the course. And I don't want you to shy away. I want you to finish strong, Timothy. I want you to endure to the end. Now, make a decision. Do you really desire to follow Jesus? 
My prayer is that, listen, as things heat up in our culture, in our world, as animosity increases, that one of the things we need to get down pat right now is this, no matter what this world does to us, no matter what comes our way, we are committed to follow Jesus. And our desire is to be increasingly more like Jesus. Myth number three, myth number three, I can manage my sin. Myth number three in the Christian life, I can manage my sin. Let me just say this out the gates, just so you know how serious this is. I think this is a massive problem in particularly Western Christianity. You see, we want to be in the world, and way too often we actually want to be of the world. And we think we can have our cake and eat it too. We think we can have you know, one foot in the church, one foot in the Christian life, and one foot in the world, and we think that we can play with fire and not get burned. Here, Paul looks at these false teachers. And in light of these false teachers, he wants to remind Timothy of some important truths about them, but I want you to see that this also applies to me and you. These false teachers who will bring this persecution are being talked about here. The very ones responsible are the ones that he addresses. He says in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, that is one of the reasons why all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted because evil people and imposters are gonna continue to go from bad to worse. It's not gonna get any better. They're gonna keep ratcheting it up. And there's a valuable lesson, like I said, to learn from these false teachers. What is true of them can also, if we're not careful, be true of us. He, he labels, first just notice this, he labels these, these false teachers as evil people. He is talking about their moral disposition. He's talking about the blackness of their hearts. The, these are wicked, evil, worthless, vicious, base individuals. He calls them imposters. They're fakes, they're frauds. They're charlatans and deceivers. And here's what happens to them. They go from bad to worse. It's a description of the progress of evil, its growth in intensity, the snowball effect of sin in someone's life. They progress more deeply into bondage, eventually becoming unwilling slaves of it. In one sense, we look at these false teachers and you wanna know what? Rather than being furious and angry, there is a sense of compassion and pity that we need to have on people like this. They're so filled with sin, they're so trapped by their sin, they're living in a prison of sin. And they can't get out. And the general principle here is that sin is not neutral and it doesn't ever stay static. In fact, if you try to manage your sin, rather than kill your sin, you will ultimately be destroyed by your sin. Certainly if you're an unbeliever, we know this to be true, and this is part of what Paul is saying, their fate will be determined for eternity. Their sin will lead to their utter spiritual destruction. But as a Christian, listen, though our spiritual lives cannot be utterly destroyed in the end, we will be saved, we will be redeemed, we will be rescued into the very presence of our God. Listen, we can do a whole lot of damage in this life with our sin. It can cause so much destruction, so much pain, so much hurt, Let me put it another way to help you, just in your personal life. Again, up on the screen, if you persist in sin, you will progress in sin. 
You know, and this is the, we, we treat sin like, like it's, it's a little pet, you know, a little pet chihuahua that we can just, you know, hold on our lap and, oh, isn't this so cute? And then we turn around and we wonder why it's biting us and devouring us. And we look and we realize that it wasn't some sweet little pet that we could coddle and hold. It was a vicious monster that wants to see, kill, and destroy us. They go from bad to worse. This really defines these false teachers, but I want you and my, I want my own heart this morning to take heed. It can define all who attempt to live in sin while claiming to follow Jesus. This is just the reality in our lives. We need to understand that we can't fool around with sin. We can't trifle with sin. We can't treat sin as if it's trivial. We can't treat sin as if we can kind of play with it here and, here and then, here and now, and, and not really suffer any consequences for it. You say, well, how, how do I know if I'm trying simply to manage sin instead of kill my sin? I want to give you just three simple ways, and I'm sure there are lots more, but three simple ways you can maybe diagnose your heart this morning and ask this question, am I trying to simply manage the sin in my life? First is this, do you keep it hidden? Do you keep your sin hidden? That's how you know you're trying to manage your sin. If you want to keep your sin in the dark, you can guarantee yourself this, that you're not trying to deal with your sin. The Bible says we bring our sin to the light. We let the light of the gospel shine upon uh, the darkness in our lives, and we're reminded, listen, that the, the light always overcomes the darkness. But it can't overcome the darkness if we're not willing to bring it out into the light. And so, my, my, listen, I want you to consider this in your life. We're gonna lead, as we lead towards the close of this service, I want you to be seriously looking at your heart. I want you to be asking God right now, God, are there things in my heart right now that are being hidden from you or from others? By the way, nothing can be hidden from God. Do you keep it hidden? Second thing is this. Here's how you, you might find out this morning that you're trying to manage your sin. You tell yourself it's really not that bad. And, and I think, you know, we actually tell ourselves, we say this, ah, I know I'm struggling with this, but it's really not that bad. It's really not that big of a problem. Or we, we look at other people and we say, well, my problem is not nearly as bad as their problem, so I'm okay. Or we look at the, the list of sins in scripture and we simply say, well, you know what, this sin isn't of the same degree as other sins, so really there's not a huge issue in my life, and can we just all acknowledge today that any sin that we are continuing to cultivate in our lives is utterly unacceptable because it is utter rebellion against the almighty, gracious, loving God of the universe. But if you find yourself telling yourself, Listen, it's not that bad. Or, or, or this sometimes comes into play when we justify our sin because somebody else, listen, one of the greatest dangers is when we are self-deceived, we can't see our, our own sin, and, and that's oftentimes us, we have these blinders on, but, but the worst combination is when you can't see your own sin and you will not hear it from anybody else. Okay, so if people are saying, you've got a real problem here, how many times do we have to talk about this? Why isn't this ever changing? And you're sitting there like, Give me a break, you're blowing this out of proportion and it's really not that bad. Listen, you have a problem and you're trying to manage your sin. Third thing here is this. If you take an honest look at your life, you can say this. My sin, the one that I've been trying to manage, is worse than it used to be. It's worse than it used to be. So you can literally look at your life and you can see I once struggled with my sin to this degree. Maybe it's the frequency of that sin and the intensity of the struggle of that sin, the amount of times that you've fallen in that sin, and you can look at your life now and go, it is way worse 
than it used to be. Let me give you a couple illustrations just to jog your memory and make you think. You know, you, know, you, you once struggled with a little bit of anger. There were, there were moments of, of, of sharpness in your conversations, a, a, an outburst here or there, but now, right now, it seems like you can never keep your temper under control. You blow up at the littlest thing, and the anger that was once in your heart has taken root, and it's spread into bitterness. And you're just an angry person. You're so filled with rage. And that's because you've never really dealt with your sin. You've simply tried to manage it and managing a monster doesn't work. Or you once found yourself desiring things, material things, a bigger house, a better car, more of this, more of that and you struggled with the coveting of it in your heart. You, you knew it was there, you could feel its presence there, but now you've moved out of strictly coveting to a place of consuming. And you just can't get enough. It's not just that you think about it, it's that you're actively pursuing it, and more and more, and, and all you can think about now is, is the next thing. The thing that's gonna provide that kind of empty, for that empty feeling in my heart, to just keep on getting more of it. Or maybe, listen, maybe, maybe some of you men particularly, but some of you women too, listen, you started off with an occasional glance. And every once in a while, maybe you'd slip and you'd you know, click something online that you shouldn't be clicking on. But now you look at your life and it is binge after binge after binge. And it is so out of control and it is so hidden in your life that you don't know what to do. Here's what's happening to these false teachers. They're going from bad to worse, but it gets worse than that. They're also, notice what the text says, they're deceiving and being deceived. We, we, all, we all know people like that, right? <laughs> they, they tell a lie so often they eventually begin to believe it. I mean, not us, we got friends like that. I watch this with my kids all the time, by the way. And pretty soon, you know what happens? Pretty soon, you know, a kid gets caught in a lie. You see this happen, right? They get caught in a lie. How many times have you watched your child, like especially with young children? You remember, like you've literally watched them do something they're not supposed to do, and then you call them on it, and they turn around like, I didn't do it. No, 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 I saw you do it. I just, I just watched you. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And they keep saying it over, and eventually, you know, they start weeping and tears coming out of them. I didn't do it. I promise I didn't. I watched you do it. But pretty soon, listen, they begin to believe their own lie. Like, I think, like, I have to look at my kids sometimes and go, I believe now that you really believe that, but it's not true. But listen, this is the way we often are. We can easily be trying to deceive others at the same time becoming self-deceived. Paul introduced an, an implied contrast here this is so helpful to see. It's a contrast between the destinies of the persecuted believers and the persecuting false teachers. The persecutions and difficulties of the godly made it appear as if their future was frightening, terrifying, but they were in reality bound for glory. The evil persecutors who appeared to be in charge of events, 
that were going on and were progressing from bad to worse and were heading blindly for destruction. Paul's saying, Timothy, don't you get it? These people who are persecuting you, they're making life miserable for you, but you wanna know something, Timothy? There's so much more in store for you that you can't even imagine. You will forget about all of these afflictions and sufferings and persecutions one day, and they are heading down a path of utter and total destruction. Those who neglect the truth of God become enmeshed, trapped in a confusing web of deception. Their consciences and reasoning capabilities suffer damage through sin. Sin has this way of distorting what we believe is reality. And they eventually become incapable of removing themselves from Satan's delusions. The very delusions that they thought they were in control of spreading end up capturing them. Don't be deceived, church, don't be deceived. This can just as easily happen to you and me. And as we look at this, we need to be reminded and encouraged, listen, that only God's truth possesses the power to set captives free. This is why this is so important for Timothy to be reminded of. Here are these false teachers who are deceiving and being deceived. And by the way, all of those that they are deceiving, all of those that they are confusing, all of those that they are leading down that same path to destruction, it is Timothy's job as the pastor of this church to rally the church of Jesus Christ to go out and show the world that they no longer have to be deceived. They no longer have to walk in blindness, but they can have their eyes opened and they can be released from the prison of sin. Only Jesus can rescue those who are drowning in their sin. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the spiritually blind. And I just want, I want to speak to, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope you can see the sin that is pervasive in this world. I hope you can see what God says about the danger of sin. Listen, sin alienates you from God. It draws you away from God. It is, it is created in an unpassable chasm. but your sin is destroying you. And the good news of the gospel is that God loves you so much. He saw what sin is doing to you. He sees it right now and, and he wanted to come and rescue you from that, knowing that you couldn't rescue yourself, knowing that maybe you were desperate and even trying everything possible to get out of the prison of sin. He came down to earth for you. And he opened the door of your prison cell by hanging on a cross, by taking your place, by taking all of sin's punishment, all of sin's wrath, all of its penalty, he absorbed it all so that you don't have to. He rose victorious so that you can have life in him. As the worship team comes up, I wanna talk now to those of us who are followers of Christ, just stay with me, don't, don't lose me here. What myth are you believing? What myth are you believing? Do, do you believe this, this myth today that you have to hide who you really are if you're gonna be effective in discipling? Do you believe the myth that you can follow Jesus without problems? Is that, is that the myth that you have bought into in the Christian life? Or perhaps, maybe, maybe most important for this morning, do you, do you believe the myth that you can manage your sin? Are you right now, are you, as you sit here, 
Are you able to look at your life and is God maybe in this moment exposing some areas of your life that you are simply trying to manage? You're not trying to deal with it biblically or properly. You're trying to manage your sin. You don't think it's that bad. You don't think it's that big of a problem. You don't think it's an offense to God. And I just want to invite you this morning. Would you let the truth of God's word destroy that myth in your mind and heart this morning? My heart is particularly sensitive to those who are struggling with sin this morning and maybe caught and trapped and enmeshed in deception and lies and just unable to break free of sin and struggling so much and really desperately wanting freedom from sin. Even as a follower of Christ, you've slid back or maybe you've never fully gained any semblance of victory in a particular area of your life. And I just wanna encourage you, this is a great morning just simply to come clean, come clean before God, to lay it down at his throne this morning, to acknowledge your own sin, your pride, your own attempts to deal with it your way, to simply come to the cross this morning. God, God in his grace invites us, and what a sweet time, listen, as we gather at the body of Christ to be reminded of the grace of God, that we can come and lay things down at the feet of Jesus. It's time maybe this morning for us or for some of you to enjoy freedom and peace, no longer plagued by guilt and shame. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment as you bow your heads, let me invite you to do that. I want you just to simply bow your heads and I want you to take some time to talk to God and to confess your sin or even just to ask God in this moment, God expose, expose areas of my life I didn't know were a problem. God show me the root cause of some of the manifestations of my sin. Show me Lord why I have so much anger. Show me why I am so consumed with lust. Show me Lord why I'm so consumed with envy and bitterness and covetousness. Show me, Lord, why I don't have any self-control in my life. Show me my pride, show me my selfishness. Reveal it to me, Lord, so I can lay it down at your feet. I want freedom from this this morning. And that is the way that we gain freedom. We lay it down, we confess it, we repent of it, and we say, we say listen, if you're struggling, what do I do? Jesus, help me, help me. I no longer want to be who I have been. I want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. I want more of you, Jesus, and less of me. I want more freedom and less of enslavement to my sin. But God, I need your help. I've been trying to maintain a relationship with you while I'm also trying to manage this sin, and it's time for me to put this sin to death. This isn't working, God. I need your help. It's an offense against you. You died for this. And I want to give it to you. I want freedom. Take it, God. Take me. Help me. Change me. And just as your head is bowed, I'm going to ask the, the team behind me just to sing this song over us. Keep your head bowed and just continue to do business with God. Let these lyrics wash over your heart and your mind this morning and then they'll invite us to stand at one point and sing together. But listen to these words.